Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a special full episode of my podcast, Shout Out Heart Wrestling, featuring your story, Jamal Honus. And today, we are going to talk about the top 10 most scariest, freakiest, terrifying, spookiest, grossest moments throughout the company history of WWE. And there's been a lot. You know, as you grew up as a child, you know, you probably could have seen, like, the most scariest, grossest things maybe in the uh, rock and wrestling era, the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, maybe the mid-generation era in the mid-90s, or the attitude era in the end of the 90s, attitude in the millennium. But either way, you, there's not one episode or one thing you watch in better programming that you would say, this is nasty, this is gross, or maybe if you like it, this is awesome, chance. The most national known chance and all that it'll be universe history. So I know it's the obvious one, but some of the nastiest. Let me just say this right now. I think you probably gonna take me the scariest superstar of all time. I would have to say that the boogeyman is probably the most scariest. On top of that, just because with entrance alone, the red smoke, the aura, that stick or cane he carries with him to the ring that has the red aura and smoke coming out of it. And the fact that he brings about thousand worms and either eats them or stuff them in his opponent's throat at the end of the match after defeating them. So it's been pretty surreal to watch this character. I first saw the Boogeyman back in 2005 when I was 12 years old. And he made his debut at the, at the uh, 2005 Survivor Series between the Eric Bischoff, Teddy Long, General Manager versus General Manager matchup. You know, Robert Smith at the time. And it was pretty creepy. You know, it was such awe inspiring, but the, at the same time, you know, you see the words and you get grossed out. And then you know, you don't really, you know, don't think about it, but just watch and awe. It's like you can't take your eyes away from it, but you're going to want to see what happens next. That kind of reaction, what I expected, I don't watch the Boogeyman drop the first couple of years in the W sisters, you know. And just to see him make his return on Better Be Some Bumps this past Wednesday on Peacock on Betty Network and just seeing him and just bring back those memories. And like I said, hey, it's going to go through well, but it's kind of all starting at the same time. So, yeah, <laughs> pretty interesting there. Alrighty, but I got a top 10 list myself to my knowledge about the top smokiest things, almost terrifying moments in Debbie's history that, you know, you're probably not going to want to live again just because it was that bad or that scary or terrifying as well. So, let's just start a source countdown. Number 10. This took place on the episode of Raw, September 12th, September 10th, 2012, during the Kane Dan O'Brien versus the Primetime Players Taxi Method there. This is pretty. Scary. Just because, you know, we know that um, David King Lawler was sitting in commentary rings after that matchup. Out of nowhere, he collapses and it has a heart attack. And there was a point where I think Michael Cole went, went off script and saying that he has to get an ambulance, he has to get Lawler, he's got to get medical attention. And that was actual heart attack. I didn't know. I thought it was part of the script at the time, 10 years ago, I was watching this. And, you know, it was actually a real heart attack. Jerry Lawler suffered a heart attack on live WWE television. And it was pretty crazy, you know, you think of all wrestlers, all legends in this business, and saying with Jerry King Lawler has to be a top maybe top five legends of the business, and, you know, it's just sad to see someone like that, and no more than nice guy than that, you know, I mean, Jerry King Lawler beloved, funny, at one time with the heel, but fans so appreciated because this in-the-ring work, his uh, promos on the mic, you know, everything, everything about Jerry King Lawler smells good, and that's what made me happen, Jerry King Lawler is undefeated at SummerSlam 1996 in 2000, and... You know, it's been amazing to watch Jerry King Lawler wrestle in his prime back in the 70s, 80s. You know, those, those hour matches with Terry Funk, you know, those matches with um, Rick Flair, Holly Race, and just think about those and think about something that could happen to a guy like this who was pretty much spent his entire wrestling career 
he makes it into a Hall of Fame championship worthy career. And it kind of sucks, you know? It really does. I mean, let's just say, this is just with legendary so all of a sudden we went so went quite a commentary. I think at that moment when I watched it and, and it happened and you see him collapse on the floor and grabbing his chest and it's like, oh man, it's, I mean, it's nothing slipping. It's nothing serious there, you know? Something's going wrong with Jerry Kalala on TV. And, you know, for those who watch it on, at, on TV at their homes or attended the arena that night, and, you know, I think it was, it was probably one of these things. I think I probably should have put this in the top five, but, you know, they happen to understand what happened at this week that I want to talk about, but this is, this is actually okay one of those. This is pretty scary. You know, it really was. And it's crazy because those from watching at home heard muffled sounds and panic voices coming out of Michael Cole. And Michael was generally concerned about his friend, Jerry Lawler's quite being. I think that was the time Jerry, Jerry Lawler and Michael had a few going on where Michael Cole was kind of in a really shield commentator and Jerry Lawler, he did get commentated. I know, it kind of sounds weird to say, considering that actually was kind of like swept quasi, but like, you know. But yeah, this is, you know, pretty crazy. Uh, Jay Law suffered a heart attack and slapped the ringside and just stopped breathing immediately. It's just crazy, you know? And thank God the show continues. Medic worked on Jay Waller was cold doing his best to keep things, like, taking as far as, like, entertaining the fans at home and making sure that he called every match that happens throughout the night. Thank God Jay Law did eventually make full recovery, but some fans generally thought he had seen their very beloved wrestling legend die live on air. And I don't know. To me, I don't know if you guys will be agreeing on this, but this is probably really like I don't, I'm, I'm gonna say this. Again. I'm probably gonna repeat this over and over. This is not something for entertainment issues. This is not something to make you, you know, fans like laugh, cry, or anything. Very situation. But thank God, Jerry Claw did not pass away from this. He's still alive. Thank God. Kudos to Jerry Lawler. I'm probably not gonna do a Jerry Lawler episode in the future, but as far as this thing goes. Pretty crazy, you know. It really was. All right, this was another freaky moment that happened in 1996. But number nine was this is pretty interesting here because I think this was the first time WWE's ever done this before. We had an anti-rhythmic match back in '94 SummerSlam, you know, so hot but so scary. That was the tag team in Chicago that year. But she is a winner taker and Kevin Nash, aka Big Daddy Cordivo, feud heading on a road to WrestleMania 12. There was one episode. On, uh, I think it was uh, Monday Night Raw, where Diesel had saw a castle at ringside, I believe, and they were going to confront that castle in a madness man. Well, they were, I think it was probably going to destroy the castle, pretty much. So, that was on his mind. And then you see Paul Bear in the ring, and it's crazy, you know, because the build up to this whole showdown had some of the most trademark supernatural mind games from, you know, from the form. It's, cre- it's pretty crazy, you know. There was also one such instance that was prepared to be quite scary at the time. You know, like I said, the cast could be dropped down to Paul Bear by ringside, uh, Monday Night Raw. After Diesel, you know, um, had got done with a vow against uh, Barry Horowitz. And I think this is probably the only thing I'm going to mention Barry Horowitz in my podcast, but Barry Horowitz, that was me. You know, <laughs> he was kind of the underdog at that time. But yeah, nonetheless, this was, uh, but yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy here. You know, at first, you know, we saw the match going on, Paul Irving catching with side, Diesel decimating very hard with, you know. And just a few for a showdown at WrestleMania 12, 
After picking up the gun, Big A Cody lifted the lid only to find himself staring in his own face. Which was actually some fantastic work done by, well, fantastic work done by the camera crew. So kudos to whoever was the camera that night to get that shot close up on Diesel's uh, actual face staring at him from below inside the castle. So that was pretty scary. You know, it really was. And you just see the frightening look on Kevin Nash's face and the thoughts of everyone sitting around and reading at home wondering, like, that is too Kevin Nash. <laughs> Let's throw down the call leg. But one's ready to cast it. One's standing with a mouth in his hands. I'm just, uh, about ready to smash the casket. And, you know, that scared the crap out of Diesel. If you saw, if you go back to that film on that Raw, I think it was the second episode of Raw before it's made its fall on the network on Peacock. You see that moment and you'll see his face, how. It got so terrifying, so um, cumulating about, you know, being that this could be him a couple of years as well. You know, you know, I think a Diesel wrestling match wasn't a casting match, but it was still one of the best Undertaker wrestling matches, you know, since very big, you know, because we saw for the first time that Kenny Nash and Undertaker actually stood up one on one in a match. Prior to WrestleMania, they hadn't had no one on one match against each other, but it happened in 12 and. Thank God that they put their green light on that. It was a good match. Like, when they jumped in, Sean and Brett, 15 minutes of the title, so. But, yeah, I got to probably put this up there as one of the scariest moments, because I think I was about two and a half years of going on three that year, 96, and I saw this moment, and I was thinking, I was on my mother watching this at home, and just thinking, and there's two characters. <laughs> one's dead and one's alive. Like, it looked exactly the same. It was, so, like I said, again, kudos to the camera work of uh, whoever was the cameraman that night and just got that close-up on the face, and that was just, that was pretty bad. Night. I got it. I thought it was probably one of the most interesting things, but at the same time, you can't really, like, you know, <laughs> like, like forget about it, you know, because I'm pretty sure the cameraman would have forgot about this day, you know, it's been, like, what, almost 30 years now? Yeah, 26 years now, because it's very good. Pretty, pretty crazy. All right, but since we're talking about characters here, number eight on my list has to be probably, I don't think all you can agree with this, but I just want to take note of this, that there were two points of clones that existed. There was the 90s version and there was the 2000s. Plus, the 90s version did pass away a few years back. And I thought in myself, I don't know if everybody can hear me on this part, but the 90s version of the clown was actually a lot more better, more athletic. And it actually had a scary side. Because remember, everybody that remembers 1993, we saw the Xavier going to clown. Or I guess if you want to dub from evil going to the clown in this very occasion, you know, we saw the Xavier uh, Wrestling 9, and it's pretty crazy. You know, but it wasn't actually what Xavier Wrestling 9, because we did actually just going to clown first in 1992. You know? And just think about it. Think about the guy not being one. Not Born's portrayal of the clown was super sinister and given like cultural critics in the world over nightmares when it first appeared on screen in 1982. You know, that's the one he played. And it's crazy because he played on audiences done so very well that any mind trick, any gimmick that he performed, he really got the fans intrigued and into it. And I was actually one of those things that I got treated by the clown as well. So, pretty crazy. At one time, you know, shooting evil glances at them one moment switching over to another to an over the top laugh. So 
you, you'll see like that evil stare out of his eyes and his face, and he, he's a clown. Of course, he's got the makeup on, he's got the the wig, the clothes, all that. But then you see that smile turn evil, and you think like, oh shit, okay, what's he gonna do next? You know, so this is actually pretty crazy, and you know, pretty pretty uh, terrifying to me too, because I think that was like he came into the business before I was even born in '93, so. But I didn't want to scare moments. When you go back to Warcraft 29, there were two sorts of clones, and they were like opposite or or similar mirrors to each other. Like there was this whole men thing that was going on in the ring, and I think uh, one of the clones died on Crush that night. So this is no, 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 no. Nope, I'm wrong. Someone died Crush that night, but still, you know, it's pretty creepy. You didn't know what to think about it, and it's like for people that actually normally scare clowns, you know, I I can understand why, but then at the same time, you know. Have a comment like this come to, into a wrestling business and just have that immediate impact on the fans, whether it was good or scary. But mostly scary, I was just going to clown and it's just like, oh man. I believe, like, okay, even though it is a gimmick and it's not meant to win championships or get pushed to company, but just be there to see what's on the big stars and make them look good too. I, I get the whole point of that. But the thing is, is that, like, and I think Delta Clown probably should have had a policy. Probably, probably could have been a part of a faction, maybe. You know, we 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 just see as Russell ninety four, Santa and Texas the uh, doing the clown in his little little mini clown. This is uh Jay Kamala's uh Jerry Kamala's uh King's Court with the uh mini team. So much I'm entertaining stuff. That's probably the most entertaining match in history as far as doing, but at the same time it's like mm, and I really plan on going to clown being a big time wrestler, not so much. But we'll I give him credit for anything that's shit on me. Yeah, 100%. So, Point of Clown, in my mind, is still a true legend business, not only for the mind games and tricks he plays on the uh, fans and the uh, superstars, but for things that he did that were pretty terrifying and will not leave will leave a lasting impression on the fans and worldwide as well. So, so yeah, you know, they were kind of terrifying at the time for many, as this kind of character was unseen on wrestling TV because it wasn't first. I mean, you think about, uh, if you pop a song go, and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna pop out, I'm gonna pop a song go and get the godfather, comma, whatever you want to call it. But, like, you know, at that time, you think that was a serious thing to see. And so, Dr. Clown made his debut and he started doing all these mind games and tricks, and it's like, okay, I think Dr. Clown kind of surpassed the Papa Sean go on that part. So, yeah. But unfortunately, the man behind the mask had his Jesus overcome, and Dr. Clown will be just remember the gimmick today, you know, because many things I don't notice, but, uh, Matt Bourne, the uh, guy that played going to Clown on TV, had a lot of um, substance alcohol abuse at the time, fighting with demons, and I was interested about just two years until I said they fired him, and then it was just like, you know, he had to part with the company, and just, um, you know, this kind of the real-life personal problems, and just fighting with demons, going to rehab, and all that, so, but, you know, I, in, in many ways, I still remember going to Clown being one of the most terrifying people in the history and one of the most trickiest gimmicks of all time. So, I'll, I'll give some credit to you on that part. So, not too bad. All right, this was pretty crazy. I, didn't, I don't think this is, like, terrifying, but it is scary, though. You know, so, and when I think about this moment, at least, oh, man, this was pretty freaking terrifying, you know? It really was. Number seven on my list, WrestleMania 15. Whoever remembers the feud between the Undertaker, the Ministry of Darkness, and the Corporation that had started back in uh, January, February 99. 
of course, this was an awesome military line about what they lost in Austin in event. But, you know, I think that was a cool time, you know, because people like right now trying to bring that, that thing to WWE today where more than one wrestler superstars are being involved in more than one storylines. I think it actually keeps the uh, character fresh, it keeps storyline fresh, and just keeps them doing more and the fans wanting more. So I got to admit, this is pretty cool. And that's there about, you know, if you're a big star, you're going to be involved in like two or three storylines. And it's pretty crazy. This was the thing. Vince has sent the big boss man to attack you and take on love when the entry is about to put Vince Smith doing nothing. But big boss man comes in with the save. And I'll put that we have the first ever Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania between the Undertaker and the big boss man, WrestleMania 15 in Philadelphia. And those that don't know, it's just not a couple weeks on real life that WrestleMania 40, we're going back to Philadelphia for the first time in 25 years at the Lincoln Memorial Field in, in April 2024. And it's going to be pretty cool. Four years of WrestleMania going to Philadelphia. It, it, that's Philadelphia crowd. Philadelphia is known for having the most entertaining sportsmen ever. I mean, think of football. At the same time, you know, you think about it, and it's just like, WrestleMania is a big deal. And, you know, Philadelphia won the bidding war, the host of WrestleMania, that, for, well, not that year, because it hasn't happened yet, but the year 2024, and I think it's pretty cool. But, yeah, so far, WrestleMania 15 was the only WrestleMania to be hosted in the city of Philadelphia, the city of Bloody Love. WrestleMania, and this is pretty weird, because there was like a theme going on, I don't know, I was listening to the uh, Something Russell with Blue Pritchard's podcast, Something Russell with, and they always talk about how WrestleMania 15 was a night of first balls and a night of knockouts. We saw knockouts from the Hardcore Pilsen matchup, the uh, Butterbean versus Barkley matchup, the Mankind versus Mason matchup, they felt knocking on this man himself after the matchup, and it's a much different team. But this one was pretty different. You had to take a big boss man's home for a match with uh, maybe less than 15 minutes. That wasn't really the most highlighted, you know, matches of the night. If I got to be honest, I'd probably say that WrestleMania 15, you had to take a big boss man's probably the worst WrestleMania. One of the worst WrestleMania matches in history, it didn't really create enough feud. But you got to think about it. You can think about the Undertaker. Undertaker's already a mega star. The big boss man. Is like one of the megastars being part of the Wilson Corporation faction back at that time. This is pretty crazy. You know, there was one part of the matchup where the big boss man handcuffs the Undertaker to the cell and starts beating down with the chair and the, um, uh, what is this thing? A nightstick that police officers use in real life. So, that's the same thing. I think eventually broke free of the handcuffs. Again, the uh, aerial close on, on big boss man hits the tombstone, one, two, three, the Undertaker for the win. But you would think that's it. It's always, you know. Of the Minister of Darkness Peace Corporation. You know exactly. This was pretty evil. We see Paul Bear. Uh, he has these. Uh, he has his hands on the switch. They, they control the hell cell structure itself that goes up into the ceiling at the uh, Wachovia Center at that time in Philadelphia, the 2015. But then now you see Edge, Christian, and Gangrel, who are disciples of the Minister of Darkness, comes down from the ceiling on these. Uh, I don't know, these uh, wire things that you use to like climb mountains or rocks with. And then they are stomping holes in the middle of the cell. They got a noose in their hand. This is probably one of the scary things. This is what happened in real life people back in the early 1980s. He, they have brought a noose down from the top of their helmet cell, put it through the hole, handed it to the, their leader, the Undertaker, when the Undertaker was pure evil at that time, you know, and pissed the noose around Big Boss's neck. Um, they, um, not Big Boss's but Paul Bearer had. Brought up the controls to make the Hell in Cell raise up to the ceiling, 
off the walk over in Philadelphia and has Big Boss Man hanging by his neck from the knee in the middle of that ring. And I think me as a kid at age of six years old, seeing that was, I was probably scary to because you don't really see normal stuff like that nowadays. But for someone to be hanging from the hell of a and they knew, and Big Boss Man, that was pretty scary. That really was. So, yeah, thank God Big Boss Man was okay after that. But, oh, man. If you go back and watch the wrestling scene on the Literary Network on Peacock and see that moment, and, and, uh, and that was right before Austin Rock, the first meeting of Austin Rock for the title that night, you know, and it was like, man, you know, you can't really get that image out of your head where Big Boston is unconscious, but is being hung in a noose from the top of the hell in the cell. That's pretty scary. I think I still have nightmares about that since very late, because so, I actually got the Big Boss Man, but I love getting thinking more, so. Yeah, definitely one of Skate's moments. And believe me, I think throughout late 98 into early 99, I think it had a lot of supernatural demonic moments involving his ministry of darkness that if you're going to watch the actor, watch those moments, and you'll see why, how Undertaker was just pure evil at that time, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty supernatural for the most part. But, yeah, you know, it was pretty crazy. And it was really crazy. Number five on the list would be John Michael's collapses on Raw. And I guess this is one of the moments in Debbie's history. But at the same time, it was pretty crazy because, you know, I had Sean had uh, been through a lot in 95. I think mean, that time was the main year that, you know, Sean Michael's had been through a lot. You know, he won the World Rumble, but number one, he was the first person to ever do that before. Ground WrestleMania 11 had a tremendous match against me, though, because I also say this, though. The best match of the Night Wrestling 11 was Sean and Diesel for the title. Nothing else compares to that. Not even the Lawrence Taylor Bam Bam Big Romain event. That match was stupid. That match didn't have not been a main event. That was a Google mismatch part for making that match main event. Especially for WrestleMania and Hawkins, Connecticut of all places. I think that's probably the only reason why WrestleMania has ever come to Connecticut and Hartford for that occasion. But then, drop the ass to Michael Smith, pop on my fist, five times man after Raw, take their team of actions, comes back, win the IC title from this there, and probably one of the greatest IC title matches ever, or greatest matches ever in the house history. In Nashville, Tennessee, beat Razor in a ladder match in the rematch from WrestleMania 10 at Summer 95. Well, Tina with Diesel to defeat Owen Yokozuna to become the, um, become the all champion in WWE history. Y'all was the first, nobody's ever done that before, but Tina Diesel. And to relinquish the title in October at Indy House 4, and it's just pretty great. Tom Benson returned to access to the Arthur 95 the night before this incident took place, and him and Ahmed Johnson would have sold some records in there. I think he's very cool as well. So. But what I think that's probably the most weirdest wild card for us in that history. But then again, you know, these things happen. The next time in law, Owen Hart and Sean give us a tremendous main event there, and it's crazy, you know? During the match against Owen Hart on November the 20th, 1995, episode of Raw, Sean Michael suddenly dropped on the floor after taking an injury from Owen Hart as well. And I think Owen Hart, by doing that, made that move famous in Jerry because anybody that gets hit with the injury from Owen Hart, Cyrus and Soul, would probably knock out some sort of, some sort of weight in those actions. But unlike those other times, this was, you know, very usual sell, and I was at least that's what I was at the time. And NCAA was totally enough, not moving for seven moments while Jim Cornette and Omar did a good job at some moment that would have scared his intent and work. This is pretty crazy. 
Spanish presents well. They have seen some black out before and ICS and you know, let's just say everybody's feeling for the worst and seeing some there. Luckily it was all work, but doesn't mean the angle didn't scare the article from my research. Because watching the match, I thought, you know, shit not out. Not that cold, stop the match in the hospital getting injured, you know? And I think God thank God it wasn't like that bad. It wasn't worth trying to take a few months off. And remember me, remember though, Sean was not even supposed to be competing at the time. Because from that incident that happened in New York at a nightclub where he got beat up by four or five guys, that was his story. That actually did happen. And Sean was supposed to take a leave after he dropped a rough 95 to come back after the 96 like I had planned. But thank God this this angle right here by him and Owen on that episode of Raw, November 20th, 1975. Let's take a, a team up absence and Usually, I don't know if that doctor was the real doctor on TV, but he did say that Sean will be turning a mandatory rumble in Fresno, California, and it will cost me no Sean to also win that rumble. And finally, goes going to see Brad with 12 to become champion, and one of the greatest ones in the history, of course. But after watching that, you would think that, you know, this was a rib, you know, blackout, comeback, special match, but that wasn't the case. It was so scary that that Monday Night Raw ended with Sean being rolled on a stretcher and all of a sudden didn't take match to fans, you know. There was actually supposed to be two more matches that happened that night just because of the incident. That was actually the first of its kind that WWE Raw, Monday Night Raw had gone off the air with somebody leaving on a stretcher thinking that the serious the, the injury angle is more serious than everybody up here. You know, so which at least I thought that was watching you know, that Monday Night Raw at the time. And I'm thinking, damn, Owen Hart is the jury. It's probably the most dangerous move in history. <laughs> but yeah, thank God that wasn't the case. So, you know. All right. This next moment, 2019, number five. This probably has to be still, in this in this era, that WWE history, probably one of the badass eras of all time. It was so scary, but it was so damn cool. And of course, this came from the mind of Bray Wyatt himself. But... Think about it. It was not all, you know, hugs and giggles with between Vince and Bray Wyatt at the time. It was rather a complicated relationship that saw him never again get to get complete control of how he wanted to present his various compelling creations. And I guess if let's just say, you know, if this had worked back in the late nineties, let's say the accident. And of course, you know, originally you had to take a Idea to be. Let's, I'm going to give you guys a good example. When I take your first debut of the Ministry of Darkness tonight after October Judgment Day event for many years, you would think that this thing didn't would not get over. But it wasn't even going to take that idea itself. It take was presented that idea by I guess people in the corporation, you know, closer to myself, and of course, that's why they're there. And it take that to be the evil and take at that time. This time, getting history, in 2019, we saw that Bray Wyatt had not been used on TV for quite some time. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if he was injured or taking time off. None of that. It just pretty much disappeared. There were vignettes that led up to um, some of 2019 that Finn Balor were going to be facing this new evil persona of Bray Wyatt, but we didn't know if it was going to be just a regular Bray Wyatt or maybe something like a Sister Abigail, but... It was gonna be something else in North Carolina that the fans to this day will think will think look back as this is what the most the greatest gimmick or character of all time. I can't really call it a gimmick because they really said tell me what just happened to me about SummerSlam in Toronto, you know. But however, they did this knockout for the park when it came to the fiend making his in ring debut a 
against Tim Beller at SummerSlam 2019 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I got to admit, from experience, when you first see that entrance and seeing him wear that mask and having the jacket and have the uh, the uh, the black, red and black striped pants and that lantern that actually looks like his actual head with a light in the middle of it. That was probably the most spooky entrance you see you would see now nowadays in the WWE. So it was that good that fans kept on rewinding and watching it. That video itself got over two million views on YouTube at that time in twenty eighteen because that theme character that he was so badass you cannot stop watching it. It, it was almost in comparison to Bray Wyatt returning as he was a couple weeks ago on Saturday. On YouTube, TikTok and Twitter it got over two point two billion views that everybody was so happy to see Bray Wyatt back in the WWE a couple weeks ago. You know, as he moves, so pretty, pretty amazing. So, and the build up to this emergence in a debut of SummerSlam was so extremely compelling. I mean, come the moment, everything from his entrance to the props and music to the camera to the mask to the body language that made the scene look very dangerous, scary, and terrifying. And scaring mainly, scaring the many in attendance that watching on the screen. Because, like I said, I was one of those people, you know, that saw when the team made his debut at SummerSlam 2018. And I got to I was mesmerized. I was, I was in awe. You know, so it was probably one of those badass debuts. And you're thinking something like this could come out from like a scary movie or maybe some kind of Halloween event. If you go back and watch 2018, Crown Jewel, uh, Seth Rollins had defended the Universal Championship against the Fiend in Saudi Arabia on Halloween night on 2019 before WWE Crown Jewel event, and the Fiend had won the championship. And that was a fall time match where the whole match, the entire stadium with 60,000 fans in Dead Outside Arabia was just put pit start and with this eerie red light, you know? But yeah, I think the Fiend is the only one that can say he won a World Championship on Halloween in 2019 in Saudi Arabia, so it's definitely pretty first. But to say that the Fiend did it, kind of makes sense, you know? So, but yeah, you know, think about it. Some of the most terrifying ones that we had all around these characters, these larger life characters, and it's pretty crazy, you know? So, but let's just think though. We've seen like the Undertaker, Golden Crown, the Boogeyman, the Fiend. There have probably been other gimmicks or scary gimmicks in my mind that, you know, happened prior to work or try we can make it seem like they're scary, but they're really not. You know, who can remember uh Ivy Yank and DDS? Probably one of the worst gimmicks because that character on was a dentist, was fucked up too. And it didn't make no sense. And for people, for those that didn't know, the Canaan brothers um, a few weeks ago, that was actually Glenn Jacobs. Before he became king, he was the Ivy Yanko DDS character back in 1995. And if you think about it, the only good match Ivy Yanko had in that existed was a 1995 summer friend against Brett Damon Hart. But, you know, scary finish when Brett Damon Hart's neck got tangled between the those hard ropes. And, they had to stop the match immediately, but yeah, I think that was the only memorable match I remember. But thank God that casting last month, thank God Glenn Jacobs became became the instant character that still scares us 25 years later to very day. So thank God for that, that we did switch the rule and did the right thing right there. Because imagine if the Asian character was still around today, that it would have made no sense. It would have been an epic fail. And I think pretty much it would have got, that character would have got booed out the building heavily in any city that they go to. So. You know, thank God we got King instead of Ivy and competing yet. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy here. <laughs> All right. If you got to think about some 
getting along with the character or something, you got to involve some of the most dangerous things that happen that to be as well. Two certain people that would make it scary and terrifying and think to yourself, how is this guy still standing? How are you still performing? How are you still wrestling? How are you still doing all these things? And I think there's only one guy that comes to mind that you put his body through so much and still get up and entertain the fans, and that is Mick Foley. If you want to go back and think about maybe the house on that team, Untaker's little team during that and Pittsburgh Kia at the Igloo, what's scary enough when Mick Foley got tossed from the top of the cell? And not only that, climbs back on top of the cell and gets thrown through the cell with the chair hitting him in the face and knocking his front tooth out, which I kind of feel like I. <laughs> I'm in the door because, you know, I haven't missed the front two before, so, but, anyway, I don't think there's nothing worse than McCoy went through that night. You would think that's the only main thing McCoy would have to go through in his career again. Eh, not so much. Next night, let's go back to the War Rumble that night in Anaheim, California, Hollywood, I guess. Just Anaheim, just North Hollywood, California, so, but yeah, it's crazy. Everyone knew how far McCoy would go and entertain them and appreciate the Hall of Famer for his selflessness, but at the same time, however, even the most accurate fans in, the, in his extreme work were left shocked at the viciousness of the Rock's attack on Mick Foley's body during their eye quit match when he won the one run that night. And then, I think at this time, other than, uh, let's see, Brett and Bob Backlund from WrestleMania 11 I quit match, or to Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Brett and Hammer, I quit the match match WrestleMania 13. I think this probably has to be the first real awesome situation where you have to force your opponent to make to say I quit and you know everybody remembers their first of course everybody remembers their first that's no question about it but the thing is that like if you even take a first kind of match and pick two of the biggest stars in the company at the time the rock and McFoley and it you can expect some chaos there's not going to be no carters that happen in that that people are not going to remember I think I remember this match Ripley from start to finish and I just say there was not one moment in that 20-minute match that I felt like these two were really trying to kill each other. Because that seemed like there was chairs, there was handcuffs, there was ladders, there was these speakers, there was electrical boards near the entranceway, the lights went out, and there was, of course, blood that I matched up too, though. And most of those were make fun you know, surprisingly. I think everybody thinks, like, okay, the Rock became big star when you won the title at Survivor Series 98 in St. Louis, Missouri, in that one night tournament, which was also six, of course, you know, Vince Shane making the Rock the champion, come on. The Rock won the four matches in the one night tournament. Says not what happened today, but that's how I can ninety eight. And everybody knew it was a fix. I think pretty much even the commentator Jim Ross knows that there was a fix in, this, in that event. But nonetheless, that's how the Rock won his first WWE championship that night and never looked back. The rematch, the rematch between these two, because Mick Foley was in the finals of that tournament when the Rock had quote unquote won, but I guess Mankind got screwed. Okay, yeah, but where where have we heard that word screwed up before when it comes to Survivor Series? Come on now. So it happens. In the 90s. A lot of people didn't screw up for us, apparently. But yeah, that's what happened. Fast forward two months later to the 1999 where the first tape view in 1999 before the new running. He had this the first ever icon match between The Rock and Nick Foley at the time. And, and like I said, yeah, it was probably one of the most dangerous matches of all time. And like I said, not one moment that I couldn't believe that it happened. So it was pretty crazy. And for the most part, it's not one of those matches you are going to forget, you know, but you're always going to remember. And what made it worse was that Mick Foley's wife, Colette, because um, not many people know this, but if you go back and watch and read the Mick Foley, Foley's good book, I actually do have that book. And Mick Foley talked about how that how brutal that match was. And his wife and his kids were at ringside that match in Anaheim, California that night. And it's pretty crazy. You know, 
know, that children the world for you. Of course, everybody knows Noel who has started off in WWE previous for a long time. And, you know, Noel, you know, McFoy's daughter, because McFoy is a big Christmas man. So that's why he needs his daughter Noel. Makes sense. So, yeah, you know, and Dewey, of course, we've seen Dewey a few times during that way as well, being McFoy's son and all. So, yeah, they were sitting at ringside watching this result, you know. And like I said, you know, The Rock apparently got carried away and delivered 13 unprecedented chair shots to these head in the clothes. Which wrestler have you seen or heard of getting hit in the head 13 times with steel chair emphatically? That weren't no action on shots. That wasn't no shots. The Rock was really trying to win the better chance that night. And like I said, you know, you see the interview before the match happened. You know, The Rock just said we'll do whatever it takes to win the championship that night. And I got he did. He, he was going to his word, you know, whatever it takes. So, yeah, pretty crazy. And we, this left the fans and, of course, my four love boys, you know, at all, talking on. Can't believe that they're witnessing what they were watching. And it kind of remains one of the most toughest matches you can sit down and watch the WWE and not just see one guy getting bloodied or beaten up or get bashed in the head with the chair certain times. So, it's going to have to go back and watch War Number 1999 from Anaheim, but if you're going to watch that match right before the actual 30 man War Number match itself, you're going to want to probably close your eyes to some parts of the match because they are pretty dangerous. So, I'm goddamn, Nick Foley's going to execute it when that circuit board, when they fall off that ladder, Nick Foley's back and body slamming to the speakers, all you see is electrical fuses flying out, and the whole arena just starts. And you see Shane trying to calm down the rock a little bit. The rock was like, you're not having it. He said he's gonna beat them before he gets canceled and that's exactly what he did. So and for many people that really didn't realize this, I think this was the rock coming out party here. Because this is the first time you will see the rock get really hardcore, start using weapons to win a cancer. And this was like the rock coming out party here. So this is pretty badass. We saw the most dangerous side of the rock that, that night, you know, so kudos to the rock for being destructive. But at the same time, I didn't like how it went, and you know, I, I just didn't like the way The Rock won the match because technically he didn't say make he didn't make Nick Foley try to quit. There was a speaker throughout the entire arena that I'm pretty sure either Vince Shane or somebody in the corporation on The Rock side had, you know, sounding the entire arena for all 20,000 fans to hear Nick Foley say I quit. But Nick Foley was still unconscious. Nick Foley did not say I quit, but still The Rock won the chance that night and went off to make sure Shane was face often, so. Yeah, but uh, I gotta admit that was probably one of the most of all time, and it's a good thing to have this list here. Alright, and remember, we were talking about the Evil Undertaker at the time in the beginning of 1999. There was another moment on Raw that this week will be so scary to the point where you're gonna think that maybe they're gonna get more evil than hanging Bossman from the top of the sun, WrestleMania, in front of 20,000 fans in Philadelphia. But there was a moment where on Monday Night Raw where Dennis Knight was being taken in these uh, backstage vignettes by the acolyte Bradshaw Farouk and of course, you know, Bradshaw Farouk were the acolytes but were also a part of the Undertaker Ministry along with Edge, Christian, and Gangrel at that time. So, and of course, Paul Bear as well. But there was a ceremony that happened on Monday Night Raw where Undertaker was uh, draped in this, uh, this black cloak where you can see his head, you can maybe see his nose as now. You can see Yantic Gold's eyes back and said, but there was a moment where Yantic had sat Dennis Knight on this coffin-like structure. Yantic had a, I'm not sure if it was a real knife, but he had a knife and spiked his wrist. You see this blood, I'm pretty sure it wasn't real blood, come out of Yantic's wrist and pouring it into a cup and making Dennis Knight drink it. 
And we, we of course know that that Dennis Knight character, that's his real name, that's his real life name, Dennis Knight, had become the Midian character with the cross written on his forehead and his goopy eyes and his and the Midian character brought in eyeball to Rand Pennington looks so in a jar and <laughs> sat next to Jerry Lawler Jerry Lawler commentary and it's funny because you see Jerry Lawler seeing like Ken was talking on commentary and thinking that I think that eyeball looking at you, JR. <laughs> It was pretty funny to like hear that comment, but then to see an actual eyeball in a jar with uh, some kind of always liquid liquid gooey inside of it, it's kind of something, you know. So, well, overall, I gotta appreciate the Midian character because it was one of his better characters that he created for Dennis Knight. So, kudos on that. I think that was his uh, best anime work at the time. But that moment itself, pretty scary. When I run with it, that's something you see in a horror movie, and I think that kind of thing should belong on TV, especially in the wrestling industry. That was like. And I think I think we're kind of pushing off a little bit too far here. So I'm glad you'll say that wasn't canceled. Money and Rock between that moment. So, but it did get high ratings, thank God. So that's one victory for NWE's book over WWE. So yeah, not too bad. This next moment was pretty severe because this actually happened. This was pretty real, and it made kids cry ringside. Like you wouldn't think that WWE would be the evil in the '80s, but this thing happened, and it won't snake, you know. And actually, no, my bad, it didn't happen in the 80s. It happened in 1991 specifically. And this was arguably one of the most scariest, terrifying moments ever in the early generation of WWE at that time, 1991, you know? And this was when he could think Robert had set a snake to bite the tied-up Randy Savage in the rope and bit him on his uh his tricep, which is the arm of the area here with the muscle, either left or right arm, so... And then when that happened, and you see it, this was, I think, a special episode on, a special episode on Saturday Night, WWE Superstars episode that used to air every Saturday night, you know, on TV or cable, or whatever, was tied back in 1991. But you see this moment, you see a little boy crying at ringside just because his hair already was standing by a snake, and you see the snake bark, and you see the kind of rush get Randy Savage to the hospital, and who are courses of snake bites, similar poison, so many sections, of course, but. Damn, I'm glad I wasn't watching that time to see that moment, but that was pretty scary. So you go back on the network and watch that. It's just, you know, it's, it's pretty frightening because you don't see something like this happen every day. A man trying to, a man trying to set a snake to bite another another man in the arm. You know, that was, you know, pretty scary and dangerous and you know, but many people know Jake Jason Roberts. That's his actual pet snake. His name is that pet snake. His name is Damien. And when he sent Damien to bite Randy Savage in the uh price at that time and was like, oh my god, this was pretty scary. So yeah. <laughs> That's something that you don't really love, but you're not gonna um you know, go back and stop watching it because like I said, it was it was a real spot. Randy Savage did get infected that night. You know, had to take like a month or, month and a half off of work due to that and like I said, it did it did get a lot of ratings as far as like, you know, people tune in to watching that moment goes, but I think something like that should happen nowadays with be just because you know, there's a different kind of audience now than what back in 1991, where anything happened and anything was all for, all for, all for, all for to go. So, pretty, pretty crazy, you know. So, and this ladder will be probably the best, will have been desperate for a program to succeed if he was okay with it, will let an actual snake sink his thing to a quest. This was pretty rare. When I first heard that this was actually a real, Thing. It wasn't scripted or anything. It wasn't like it was a, a fake bite or a fake snake. It was actually all real. The thing was that both Randy Savage and Jason Roberts had agreed to this prior on just to get the fans more interested in their rivalry. 
Stabilize Snake come out and bite him off either. This is actually pretty scary. Again, we know they're the same Don't mess with for them. Don't go near them. Don't get their knives at them. Don't taunt them, et cetera, et cetera. So, but, but that's this actually, actually, for this moment itself to be actually planned, happened, air live on TV. While it's happening, it's just like, oh, okay. It's just uh, going far with this thing, so, yeah. And, of course, the snake was no longer venomous after that. You know, so I think at that time, after this thing happened, um, I think somebody corporate told Jason Roberts to defang his snake, of course, and, of course, Jason Roberts did it, because we all know the story behind that, so. Yeah, I'll be definitely talking about a lot more about Jake Chase Roberts and of course Randy Savage in my next coming few episodes. So yeah, this is pretty crazy. But it was still a live animal that was not trained. That's probably should have been trained. And just went full in and sank his fame to another human being that was successful pretty safe. You know, so yeah. Like I said, fans were scared, crying, squirming, and we even got the sight. And I think if anybody that were alive and that's how anyone that's still alive today, it's still go back in that moment watch that episode of Better Superstars on the Cosmic Big Network and just go back and look at that moment. They probably very vividly remember how scary that moment was because it was real. It actually happened, you know, so yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Oh man. But think about it. If you got talking about some of the scariest moments of Debbie Simpson, let's go back. I think there's no number one moment that could actually, like, surpass any of these moments. Well, I guess come close to these moments, but surpass them in such a big way. We all know that. The Undertaker's debut on Thanksgiving uh, at the 1990 Survivor Series in Hartford, Connecticut that night, November 22nd, 1990, Thanksgiving night, Undertaker made his debut at the Survivor Series. And it's kind of weird because you think about this. The Undertaker's, of course, the baby face. But he didn't care. I think Antic was both a baby face and a heel at that time because, you know, whether you like Antic's baby face or heel or not, you shouldn't care for him just because he's so damn off, you know? That's how I thought about it at that time, you know? So, but yeah, everybody go back, watch 1990 Survivor Series, and he's going to take the debut. Even though he wasn't a Paul Bearer, you know, shout out to Bruce Pritchard for dressing up as Brother Love and it's going to take you to the ring that night. And, yeah, Bobby Brady is not commentating. Oh my God, look at the size of that ham hock. Talking about how tall and big the Antigua was at that time. And, and then, of course, the Antigua weighed a lot more. Antigua was about two. Antigua was about 320, you know, at that time. But Antigua didn't look bad. Of course, he, was, he just looked tall as he looked. You know, almost 70 feet tall. He was six foot 10. Of course, the Antigua dropped a massive amount of weight throughout the time now. Antigua was about maybe about 270 now, 280. But, like, at that time, yeah, Antigua was. An opposing figure. You never seen anyone like that on TV before. And you see the fans in the crowd, they were scared, but they couldn't take their eyes off it. No one had the Undertaker was walking down very slowly with a black hat, with a gray tie, with the all black coat and the jacket and boots and all that. And let's just say that's the number one moment in history that you're never going to forget. Trust me. You're gonna, everybody's going to remember the Undertaker's debut on Thanksgiving night, the virus in 1990 in Hartford, Connecticut. Like, that was pretty badass, you know? It may be weird that he was on the million dollar team, had to be off the million dollar corporation team for that four on four matchup. You know, but hey, it was it was probably one of the best days in the history, you know, ever. So it was pretty badass, you know. It was so compelling that young kids in the crowd were smooth big at that time, you know, you think that oh, how is this happened coming gone, and you know, nothing's gonna scare us if you watch the horror horror movies, 
but then you see Deontay coming out if you're wrestling and watching what's up and you're like, oh, okay, that's how we, it's the new Thanksgiving now, you know? <laughs> Pretty badass, but yeah. And get this, there was some little boy and little girl that were hiding behind their parents just because Deontay character had a really scared of shit out of them. I mean, you know? At that time, you can take your, take your four-year-old son or five-year-old daughter to a wrestling event for about like 20 bucks at that time and see two or three hours straight action. That was like going to a meeting park at that time, you know? Quite a restaurant, you're going to get the whole work. But for these kids that thought you take a person, they were impressed, but they were also very, 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 very spooked, you know? In fact, even adults were rendered about what they're not in their throats from the sight of this never-before-seen behemoth make his way to the ring. You know, see that man, Stony Blair, massive figure, because... At that time, was considered, considered a massive figure, the way he looked and all that. So, pretty crazy. And his undead appearance led to a wide open reaction and open mouth due to the fear of being abducted, introduced in them, the fans that went as well. And definitely, it's not the top scariest moment in history, but the top scariest moment in that history. It's just very big. And, you know, I would admit this, to me, I'm always remembered as the top scariest moment in history. Just because I wasn't asking that person to see it. But when I go back to the network and watch the 1990 Survivor Series and see this match and see the debut, the parents, yeah, it's still pretty creepy. You know, so, yeah. But I don't want to know what your favorite or scariest or the most terrifying moment that history is. It could be from WWE, WCW, AEW, maybe Teenage Impact Wrestling, or maybe AEW nowadays. But either way, this is crazy. And thing like that. So, yeah, but I want to know what is your favorite moment, scary moment, or terrifying moment, very simply. And it's very crazy. I do have a surprise episode. For the first time, I'm not going to give any synthesis or summary to the next episode next week on God's Hard Wrestling Podcast. But, you know, the thing is, it's going to be good. You're going to like it. It's going to be something different than what's there. But, Anyway, I don't want to spoil you guys' spoilers here, but tune in next week for special clubs of God of Heart Wrestling. And we're going to have a favorite topic that I'm going to talk about with you guys. And it's going to be so cool that this may be one of my favorite episodes to ever talk about. But it's going to happen. You know, next week on God of Heart Wrestling, excuse me, your show is not holding I hope you guys have a good Friday, Thursday day. This form is pretty cold. But, you know, yeah. It's pretty cool. And... I do want to say thank you guys. You know, I put out over 100 episodes. It has now been two years since I had a podcast up. And besides, I'm probably going to do a see in the rest of next week on podcast, but we're going to do a special episode. It's going to be cool. But I want to say thank you to all you guys from around the world listening to my podcast for the last two years, bringing up the high numbers. My podcast is now over 40,000 downloads. I didn't never say it would be that far, but thank you guys for your friend that success. And I said, have a good Friday. Just come up there. Stay warm. It's going to work. You know, don't work if I enjoy the rest of the holiday season. So we still have Halloween coming up this Monday, October 31st. And I'll speak to you. And we'll see you next week on the special four episode celebrating my three anniversary on God of Heart Wrestling. Speaking to you guys, Have a good night and be safe out there, people. And bye bye.